to talk about as we move into the Wednesday edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. And welcome to it. I'm Dirk Christensen, and uh, we welcome back old man Winter into our uh, vocabulary and our thoughts. And uh, everything that uh, is going to be indicated is uh, not a lot of snow, but a whole lot of wind and an endless uh, spate of cold the way things are looking right now. And uh, we would advise a lot of people to check their travel plans here. Unfortunately, that doesn't necessarily always apply to ag news directors. <laughs> so we bring in Susan Littlefield to find out, where in the world are you going, girl? I am headed to Kansas City, Missouri for the day. was going to be overnight, but I'm going to be driving back because of the storms coming in. Uh, mm-hmm. National Association of Agri-Marketing. Their regional has a huge uh, event tonight, and the, I'll be emceeing. And then a bunch of the folks from some of the ad agencies and I are driving right back tonight. So well, I can go to the York Farm Show tomorrow. I see. Okay. Well, that's what happens when you carry the title of National Farm Broadcaster of the Year. You tend to get those kinds of plum assignments. Oh, yeah. That's all right, though. We, we all enjoy it, and... I'll see what Mother Nature brings. I'm right. not holding my, my breath. Well, you're more important to us than uh, than a time schedule, so take that into exactly. account. What What do you have for us here, Susan, today? You know, lots of crazy things going on. Coming up um, at 1219, I will have uh, Senator Jerry Moran on the air with us as he talks trade and the Farm Bill. He was one of the speakers this past weekend at the Farm Bureau Convention that took place in Nashville, Tennessee. Then Clay will have the Nebraska Director of Agriculture, uh, Steve Wellman, he'll be talking about chorus. Of course, those talks will get underway starting on Friday in Washington, D.C. He's going to talk about how chorus is going to affect the state of Nebraska. And then Joe Shealy of U.S. Meat Export Federation talks about some record meat exports this past year and what the new year has in store for us. Okay, is that looking good, better? How is it looking? It should be, I'm thinking about the same as what they were earlier talking, but we'll get more details coming up at 117. All right, we'll look forward to it, and uh, you keep it between the lines there, okay? Oh, very much so. We'll talk to you guys later. Thank you, Susan. And uh, over here on the sports desk, of course, is Jason Jorgensen. It was not pretty, but the Nebraska men's basketball team will take it. Last night they slugged it out with Wisconsin, winning at home 63-59. The Huskers have already matched their win total from a year ago. Nice. Which was only twelve. So well, they, they but, need but about six or seven more to be in the conversation, maybe for the NCAA tournament. Yeah, we got a whole month to go. That's so, that's good news. That is true. It's been quite the year for the Concordia women's basketball team. They're undefeated, and they are back as the number one team in all of NAIA college women's basketball, as they are number one in the country for the first time since December wow. of two thousand twelve. And also, I will tell you about a former Husker, Zach Taylor. He continues to climb the ladder in the NFL ranks as he has been named the new quarterback's coach of the L.A. Rams. Nice. What an assignment that is. Bob Brogan on business. Tech and health care lead U.S. stocks lower, and uh, that's being fueled by concerns about rising interest rates. Uh, also, the Fed projects an $80 billion payment to the Treasury for 2017, Sears is looking for more financing and to cut costs as they continue to uh, struggle. All right. Stay with your rural radio network station for how the weather is going to affect you in your neck of the woods. This is Midday on the Rural Radio Network.
There's your ag weather. It's brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. And um, Paul Perkins is in here. I'm reminded of a tune I can see clearly now. (laughs) (laughs) We remember the lyrics for that one. And it kind of describes what we've had so far, but it uh, is a far cry from what we have to come. Yes, exactly. Uh, things, yeah, people are seeing clearer right now in portions of south central Nebraska where some dense fog was a problem, especially from about uh, Greeley down to Kearney, Holdridge, and Phillipsburg and points to the east. Visibility is earlier down to a quarter to an eighth of a mile. Still some fairly thick fog as you head towards the Tri Cities looking at the webcams, but visibilities could be a problem a little bit later on tonight thanks to a winter weather advisory that kicks in that winter weather advisory tonight through tomorrow morning in all of northern Kansas and pretty much all of Nebraska, the exception of the far west and the southeast. Accumulations of snow of 1 to 3 inches are forecast and north winds gusting up to around 45 to 50. The 50 mile an hour wind gust probably going to be more so over northwest Kansas. That combination of snow and wind producing blowing and drifting and low visibilities, especially out in the open. Those strong winds and sharply colder temperatures also going to lead to wind chills by tomorrow morning of 0 to 10 below after we've had these mild uh, temperatures over the last several days. That snow ends quickly tomorrow morning. The storm not going to last long. Winds will remain strong and blowing snow sticks around into the afternoon. Winter storm watch late tonight through tomorrow afternoon. In eastern Nebraska, from Omaha to Lincoln and Beatrice, heavy snow, blowing snow, accumulations of 3 to 6 inches are possible there, and also significant reductions in visibility. We do have the advisory maps on our KRVM Facebook page, so you can get a little better zoomed-in look on your particular location. Our temperatures today, unseasonally mild, just ahead of low pressure moving out of the four corners, and ahead of a strong cold front that drops through tonight. That cold front surges south tonight with intense north winds, Gusting up to 45 to 50. Low pressure lifts out of Kansas and moves to the northeast. Rain will develop initially and rapidly change to snow late this evening into tonight as the cold air invades. It's going to be a fast-moving storm with the main run in about a 6 to 8-hour time frame. Snow ends from west to east tomorrow. We will see some clearing skies, but the wind and cold will remain with those gusts on into the 40s. A reinforcing cold front and light snow chance returns for Friday with a quick-moving system. An Alberta clipper will be dipping southeast through the region. Wind chills of 10 to 20 below, likely for Friday night into Saturday morning. Sunday looks to be milder. We'll be in between systems. But then Sunday night, a small chance of some snow and another round of cold air arrive and last into the first part of next week. For the long-term forecast, our temperatures in Nebraska and Kansas expected to be near normal or right about seasonal the middle of next week. Then we will trend warmer than normal late next week through January 23rd as we see a more westerly flow that will lead to those milder conditions. Our precipitation forecast stays slightly active as some systems come in from the west and northwest. That will keep Nebraska and Kansas precipitation right near normal to slightly above normal the middle of next week through the 23rd. Now, if these systems were coming out of the southwest, we would see a better chance of getting some significant precipitation. But when those systems come in from the west and northwest, a lot of the moisture gets wrung out over the mountains. Weather factors affecting the markets include varying amounts of rain in Argentina and a new cold wave headed for the southern plains. A storm emerging from the Rockies will remain the focus for significant weather. Today and tomorrow, disruptive snow accumulations expected across parts of the northern and central plains and upper Midwest. Windy weather and falling temperatures will follow that snow. That will lead to transportation disruptions and increase in livestock stress. 
That snow will provide winter wheat with protection from the return to cold weather across the northern plains. The southern plains, though, will remain mostly dry. The intensity and duration of the cold in the unprotected wheat areas of the southern plains will be closely watched. Late-week precipitation may become heavy from the Mississippi Delta and the Ohio Valley eastward. Significant snow is possible towards the Ohio Valley and the lower Great Lakes. The main Argentina corn and soybean areas continue to see a variable pattern of hot weather through Friday. That will be followed by scattered thunderstorms Saturday. There will be some crop stress until the thunderstorms break the heat wave this weekend. Farther south in minor growing areas of Argentina, a more extreme pattern of lower, or longer periods of heat and shorter periods of light rain. Crop weather remains favorable in central and southern Brazil. Light to moderate rain forecast this weekend towards southern Brazil. All right, Paul, and the ag weather here in the midday program brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. We are starting to see some of that precipitation in the panhandle, but that's not, in fact, all of this precipitation ended up being much less than what was earlier anticipated. Yes, uh, a lot of it, uh, of course, we'll probably see it. Some of it actually follows some rain. We couldn't even see some thunderstorms over northwestern portions of Kansas with this system. But, yeah, some light rain starting to fall over the Nebraska panhandle. That will probably start to change over to snow as it gets colder. It's 57, though, at Scott's Bluff. Uh, so it is definitely falling in some rain there. <laughs> all, right. all right. And uh, keep in touch because we'll have all the information that uh, you may need to know as far as traffic roads and that sort of thing. And we are going to get a lot of blowing, so make sure that you don't get too far away from your radio. And when you need weather anytime, you can go to krvn.com. A large national beef packing company shareholder looking to liquidate its shares. A look at how Brazilian beef exports may affect U.S. exports. And a part of the new tax policy has food processors concerned. That's all ahead on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Lucadia National Corporation is exploring the possibilities of liquidating part or all of their shares in the National Beef Packing Company. National Beef is one of the four largest beef packing companies in the U.S. and processes nearly 13% of all U.S. finished cattle. Lucadia bought the large stake in National Beef in 2011 for $868 million and is now working with its in-house advisors to see what the shares would be priced at today. In 2016, regulatory filings listed National Beef Holdings valued at $629.8 million, a significant drop in principal due to poor financial performances in 2013, 2014, and 2015. However, National Beef has shown a significant jump in profits in 2016 at $329 million profit on the year, as well as the first three quarters of 2017 showing a $310 million profit. Lucadia's investment strategy was part of a long-term bet that the global population would want more beef. The bet appears to have paid off, though, as U.S. beef exports are set to hit a record in 2017, according to the U.S. Meat Export Federation. In 2018, could those exports continue to grow, though? Brazilian beef exporters are expecting a 10% rise in Brazilian beef exports in 2018 as the country recovers from the meat scandal it experienced in 2017. Joe Shuley, Vice President of Communications for the U.S. Meat Export Federation, doesn't expect this possible rise in Brazilian exports to affect U.S. beef exports. Brazilian beef is a little bit unique in that... Uh, it doesn't compete head-to-head with U.S. beef in all that many markets. Uh, I wouldn't say that, that Brazil's export uh, trend lines don't impact the U.S. industry at all. I, I wouldn't go that far. But uh, really, our, our markets are somewhat separate. Uh, Brazil, for example, does not 
export to Japan or Korea or Taiwan, uh, which are three of our top Asian markets. They don't export to uh, Mexico or Canada or Central America. While the U.S. has several exclusive Asian markets, China is one that imports more Brazilian beef than U.S. beef. Still, Joe is confident that the growing U.S.-China beef export relations won't be affected too much by rising Brazilian exports because of the difference in the beef. While that's very true, uh, the volume of beef going into China, it's primarily commodity beef, what I would call, uh, would even characterize as manufacturing beef. And again, that's not really the market segment we're shooting for in China. We're going after a, a very uh, high-end, grain-fed uh, market niche that, uh, that Brazil really doesn't participate in. The new tax plan removed tax code 199, or the co-op deduction. After outcry from ag producers and farm organizations, there is a new tax deduction for co-op payments and purchases, and it has independent grain companies, feedlots, and food processors concerned. Their main outcry and concern comes from the grains they were buying direct from the producer. Now if producers use co-ops to sell more of their grains to take advantage of the tax savings, processors and end users of the grain will experience higher input costs. This could then trickle down to higher consumer prices at the grocery store. While this is a valid concern, there's still a lot to learn about the new tax code as well. It could take years or even months before these costs could trickle their way down to the consumer level. Keep a straight row. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Kansas Republican Senator Jerry Moran headlined a weekend discussion at the American Farm Bureau National Convention titled, What's the Latest on the Upcoming Farm Bill? Hi, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. The senator said it was a great opportunity to speak before Farm Bureau members regarding the upcoming Farm Bill, the Farm Bill Safety Net, and the importance of protecting the rural way of life across America. Very useful for me to once again hear a perspective uh, not only of Kansas agriculture but uh, American agriculture. And I also, in addition to addressing uh, two, two separate sessions, the, 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 the opportunity I had to speak was to talk about the Farm Bill and other ag issues in one of their sessions and then to take questions. The other thing I did was kick off a roundtable discussion uh, hosted by American Farm Bureau of, the, uh, of other commodity and farm organizations. So the CEOs, presidents, uh, for example, of National Farmers Union, but wheat growers, corn growers, soybean growers, cotton, etc., peanuts, uh, spent an hour and, and a half uh, with conversations about uh, trying to make sure they're on the same page uh, for the next farm bill. Uh, I'll give you just a little rundown of my take from being there and, and listening and, and having conversations with American Farm Bureau uh, members, but also those commodity and uh, farm groups. What I, what I would say is that the issue that dominated the conversation uh, was certainly, let me say it this way, the Farm Bill was significantly important to, uh, to those attending the American Farm Bureau annual meeting. It was important to every commodity group and farm organization. But not a conversation occurred without uh, the issue of NAFTA and trade generally being at the forefront. And so, the, particularly because of the timing of this uh, annual meeting, uh, and a belief that the administration will be making decisions in regard to NAFTA in the near future. And Senator Moran said the topic continued to turn to trade, NAFTA, and chorus. But uh, trade was front and center. Farm bill is important. 
crop insurance within the farm bill was often the most the highest priority, but also uh, uh, indications of how ARC and PLC aren't working to meet uh, farmers' needs. And uh, a conversation about disaster assistance, uh, particularly as it relates to Florida and Texas, but from a farm bill and agriculture perspective, the likelihood that cotton and dairy would receive some relief. Cotton and dairy are probably no different than any other farm commodity in the sense of difficult times, except the safety net for cotton and dairy is probably the least valuable. And so there is uh, every intention, I think, here in, in Congress. My expectation is that when we pass disaster assistance uh, here later this month, uh, it will include um, provisions related to uh, cotton and to dairy. That's actually helpful, and as we set the stage for a farm bill, it will increase the baseline and make writing a farm bill uh, easier from a financial point of view. It also will help us to get uh, a couple of issues, dairy and cotton, that are contentious and difficult, uh, completed before they get involved in the in the farm bill debate. The senator went on to talk about that the nation's farmers and ranchers earn their living through ag exports and trade. And he was quoted as saying, I will continue to insist the administration remembers the importance that agricultural trade plays on the economy. Moran urged the Farm Bureau members to continue to convey the importance of trade to both Secretary Purdue and to President Trump in the months ahead. Those comments coming from Kansas Senator Jerry Moran. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network and Sports Time with Jason Jorgenden. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, it was not a thing of beauty, but the Nebraska men's basketball team was able to hold on for a 63-59 win over Wisconsin last night at Pinnacle Bank Arena. James Palmer Jr. scored 11 of his 18 points in the second half to lead the Huskers to their 12th victory of the season. That already matches last year's total. Head coach Tim Miles knew this one would be tough. Give credit to Wisconsin. I mean, Greg is uh, doing a great job like playing Jim Molinari's teams. You just feel like you need a shower afterwards. I mean, they just do a great job of making it, you know, difficult to score. Uh, they always, you can't extend a lead. Any mistake, they're going to take advantage of. With that loss, Wisconsin drops to 9-9 nine and nine on the season. The Huskers are back in action on Friday night when they tangled with Penn State. Elsewhere last night, it was 12th-ranked Kansas fighting off Iowa State and 25th-ranked Creighton. They picked up an important victory over Butler. Due to outstanding play to this point in the year, the Concordia women's basketball team is the new number one squad of the nation in the latest NAIA Top 25 rankings. Concordia rose to the top spot for the first time since 2012 as head coach Drew Olson's squad collected 11 of 12 first place votes. Nebraska has named Husker great Barrett Rood as a full-time assistant coach in charge of the inside linebackers. Rude was hired as part of head coach Scott Frost's new staff in early December, but wasn't elevated to an assistant coach role until yesterday. That was the first day that FBS football programs were allowed to add a 10th full-time assistant coach. The all-time leading tackler in Nebraska history, Rude served on Frost's staff at UCF the past two seasons as a defensive quality control administrator. Another coaching news, the Chiefs have promoted running backs coach Eric Bieniemy to offensive coordinator, filling the job that Matt Nagy left open when he was hired as the head coach of the Bears. Bieniemy, if you remember, was a second-round draft pick of the Chargers in 1999 and played nine seasons in the NFL after starring at Colorado. He played for Chiefs coach Andy Reid in his final season with the Eagles. And former Husker Zach Taylor has been named the Los Angeles Rams quarterback's coach. 
The NFC West champion Rams swiftly promoted from within yesterday to replace Greg Olson, who left to become John Gruden's offensive coordinator with the Oakland Raiders. The 34-year-old Taylor spent last season as an assistant wide receivers coach in L.A. Now, Taylor was the Miami Dolphins quarterback's coach from 2013 to 2015, doubling up in his final season as their offensive coordinator. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Tonight's forecast for western areas, snow and patchy blowing snow. For central and eastern areas, rain changing to snow and areas of blowing snow. I'm Dave Schroeder. Governor Pete Ricketts unveiled his property tax relief proposal before the legislature this morning in his annual State of the State address. Senator Jim Smith will carry the bill on his behalf. Ricketts said one of the components of the Nebraska Property Tax Cuts and Opportunity Act is to restructure property tax credits and refundable credits on state taxes. Which ensures that Nebraskans, not absentee landowners, receive the credits. It also provides for additional relief in future years when our revenue is growing. Over the next 10 years, we expect this would provide over $4 billion in property tax relief for ag producers and homeowners. And it focuses the relief on the average Nebraska homeowner. Other components include reducing individual and income tax rates and investing in workforce development. He also said working on the budget is a top priority during this legislative session. He said his administration has already reduced and eliminated many state workforce positions and previously reduced allotments to the state agency. But more needs to be done. Last year, working together, we balanced the budget without raising taxes. This year, This year, we need to do the same again. I am proposing across-the-board reductions of 2% in this fiscal year and 4% in the next. At the same time, he says his budget proposal designates funding priorities for such areas as K-12 education, corrections, and services to the developmentally disabled. In Kansas, departing Governor Sam Brownback is counting on growing tax revenues from a strong national economy to pay for his proposal to increase spending on public schools, stoking an open revolt among fellow Republicans in the legislature. Diet Coke is getting a makeover to try and reverse slumping sales for the sugar-free soda. Coca-Cola says it's adding a slimmer 12-ounce Diet Coke can, refreshing the logo and offering the 35-year-old drink in four new flavors, including mango and ginger lime. The Atlanta-based company says the taste of the plain Diet Coke will stay the same. Put our app on your phone and listen to podcasts and on-demand audio on your schedule. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. U.S. and Korea Free Trade Agreement, commonly known as CORUS, wrapping up its first round of negotiations last week in Washington, D.C. What could Nebraska expect for its producers and more, especially on the agriculture front? I'm Clay Patton for the Rural Radio Network, joined today with Director of Nebraska Department of Ag, Steve Wellman. Director, thank you for joining us, sir. And as we start, just kind of talk about what products, both ag and non-ag, does Nebraska trade with South Korea? 
Nebraska exports several agricultural products to South Korea. Measured in dollars, beef leads the way at almost $190 million per year. Corn is second at, le- at less than half the amount compared to beef, followed by hides and skins, pork, distiller's grain, ethanol, and wheat. All of these export products have seen growth in recent years. And totaled up, the ag exports to South Korea are over $402 million, making South Korea the fifth largest export customer of Nebraska agriculture. So we're happy to have the, the trading relationship we have with South Korea. Another, another key point is South Korea is our second largest export market for value-added products, and adding value to the products before they are exported has been a goal of Governor Ricketts and will be something the Department of Ag continues to focus on while I'm the director. So these chorus tongues very important to Nebraska agriculture and Nebraska industry. Now on the flip side, is there anything that we import from South Korea into Nebraska? Yes, there are products imported into the U.S. from South Korea. I'm sure some of them make it to Nebraska. I don't have specific uh, details on, on those things, except I do know the uh, South Korea exports to the U.S. are led by machinery and vehicles. And there are some imported food products from South Korea, and most of those are processed foods like noodles, sacks, uh, snack foods, and beverages. Now, of course, trade talks have been all the rage with agriculture moving into 2017, now 2018, especially with big topics like NAFTA. Before that, uh, in the Trump administration, TPP was a hot one. So with Chorus, what could benefit Nebraska ag producers from these Chorus trade negotiations? Well, benefit to Nebraska ag producers on these negotiations would be any expansion in our market access uh, for anything grown here uh, in Nebraska. We already have um, good good trade with South Korea, positive trade balance with South Korea, and we have the strong relationships that we're already utilizing to get our products into that marketplace. But any other types of um, work through the discussions that would open up any more access for Nebraska would be good. I, I strongly believe that Nebraska ag products can compete with anybody in the world as long as we have access to the markets. And Director Wellman, you're a big believer in exports. You try hard for ag producers in making sure there is a viable market for all their products. And as we move into further possible core stocks and other trade negotiations, what is the Nebraska Department of Agriculture doing to increase Nebraska exports? Well, the Department of Agriculture here in Nebraska has a history of a strong promotion and market development program. Several members of our team are experienced and have a successful track record on conducting research and developing opportunities for marketing a variety of Nebraska agricultural products. Our team conducts trade missions, connects buyers and sellers, hosts trade teams here in Nebraska, and we have participated with Governor Ricketts on his trade missions. This work is a definitely a top goal for us as we move forward. And Director Wellman, of course, on the reverse side of that, too, we can always make our products more favorable to the world market. Are there any production standards that countries like South Korea or our other trading partners, what they want to see improved or changed to make our products more inviting to them? Specifically to South Korea, I think the, the only thing they want to have addressed in these chorus uh, trade talks is the uh, existing implementation issues. I do not believe they're interested in changing any of the text of the agreement. Their economy, which is recovering from a recession, is the 11th largest in the world and is growing at about 3%. Exports are half of their gross domestic products, so that has a huge impact on their economy. 
recent developments with uh, the China export market and soybeans has brought up an issue with the foreign material in in U.S. exports to that country. And there's been a, a recent agreement on moving forward to to overcome that uh, foreign material issue. The Chinese are looking for 1% FM in the soybeans. They generally get 2% FM from the uh, from the United States, but that is what they are number two soybeans. That's that's the actual grade that they're purchasing from us. So, uh, but there has been some recent developments in that area to try to work through that situation and and uh, meet the the needs of the Chinese better when they're asking for the 1% FM. That again, Steve Wellman, Director of the Nebraska Department of Agriculture, joining us on the Rural Radio Network, talking about the importance of CORUS, the South Korea Free Trade Agreement with the U.S., and as they're discussing the renegotiations of the trade agreement in Washington, D.C. Last round concluding last Friday, January the 5th. Next round set to take place either late January or early February. And as Director Wellman pointed out, a lot of important issues coming up as South Korea is a very important trading partner with Nebraska and many of our other Midwest states. So we'll see what continues. Right now, agriculture not an outlying issue in the talks, but we'll see what continues as the talks continue. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's time for a review of these livestock futures trades with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, another uh, kind of tough day for the cattle. Uh, once again, uh, uh, trade really isn't, I guess, very happy with the uh, uh, sales that took place because it was only, uh, we averaged 120 in, in the cattle. And uh looks like uh, that's as good as it was going to get. And that uh, taken as a disappointment. Uh, um, the uh, cutouts at noon were a little bit better again, but uh, volume, uh, once again, kind of on the light side. I think that also uh, creating a little bit of concern, too. Um, and uh, we continued to see uh, some pretty good selling throughout the day. We're going to finish lower right straight across. And even triple uh, triple digit loss in the uh, feeders and by uh, contract. Um, so it was uh, kind of a uh, down day there uh, once again. So it just con- it's just continuing uh, uh, making new lows and uh, a reversal down after a reversal up yesterday. The hogs came under some pressure also, which is kind of surprised. Uh, cash seems to be very firm, but uh, we have certainly closed the gap between the uh, nearby uh, February contract and the index, and uh, that has really uh, closed up here in the last uh, several days. So down to about, uh, oh, in the neighborhood of about, uh, uh, oh, the index is, is running at uh, 67, and uh, we're at... Uh, right now closing out at 72 so about five dollars thanks joe joe teal great plains commodities call 800-328-0134 a record-breaking export year for meats in the u.s and more you're listening to the rural radio network i'm clay Patton, and the numbers are just coming out here from january 2017 to november 2017 and wow, did we have some monster exports for both pork and beef. Joining me on the line to highlight more of this and let us know more, Joe Shuley, Vice President of Communications for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. And uh, Joe, these numbers were just coming out this week. Recap for us some of the highlights. 
Well, as you say, November was a really strong month. It was the highest value month ever for pork. We went over $600 million on the pork side. On the beef side, we, we had another solid month. We were down just a little bit year over year on the volume, but another really strong year for export value. And with one month of results still to be reported, uh, we will probably set a new uh, beef export value record in 2017. Our previous record was uh, 2014. We were $7.13 billion uh, with a, uh, a strong showing in December. We should exceed that. Uh, on the pork side, we will will not set a value record this year, but it, we should build on uh, the, the volume record that was set last year. So another another record year for pork export volume. Do you think that this could be somewhat dampened in 2018 as uh, articles and publications like Drovers are talking with Brazilian beef exporters and they're expecting to see a 10%, maybe even more, increase in their beef export? Well, Brazilian beef is a little bit unique in that uh, it doesn't compete head-to-head with U.S. beef in all that many markets. Uh, I wouldn't say that that Brazil's export uh, trend lines don't impact the U.S. industry at all. I, I wouldn't go that far. But uh, really, our, our markets are somewhat separate. Uh, Brazil, for example, does not export to Japan or Korea or Taiwan, uh, which are three of our top Asian markets. They don't export to uh, Mexico or Canada or Central America. Uh, they do export to Europe, but that's not really the, the market segment that we're after. We, we export a very high-end product to Europe, and our main, uh, the main thing that, that limits our participation in that market is the, the size of our duty-free quota. Uh, so the amount of Brazilian beef that, that goes into Europe doesn't, doesn't really impact us that much. It competes more with the domestic European product. Uh, now a lot of people, some people will say, well, but Brazil pours tons and tons of, of beef into China, uh, and we're trying to penetrate the Chinese market. And while that's very true, uh, the volume of beef going into China, it's primarily commodity beef, what I would call, uh, somewhat, would even characterize as manufacturing beef. And again, that's not really the market segment we're shooting for in China. We're going after a, a very uh, high-end grain-fed uh, market niche that uh, that Brazil really doesn't participate in. So that's not really the thing that's going to hold us back in China. What we're what we're uh, what we're dealing with in China is our our own supplies being somewhat limited. Uh, by the restriction. That's Joe Shuley, Vice President of Communications for the U.S. Meat Export Federation, talking to us about the record year that 2017 has been for meat exports out of the U.S. and some of the challenges we may face in 2018, but still things are looking up for the positive and for the uh, bright side for producers and for meat exports going into 2018. I'm Clay Patton. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. With us, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. Well, the story today might have been the decline in soybeans, but uh, another story might be lack of direction for corn and wheat. Yeah, I think we're, we're just preparing. Now, wheat, I think, has a little bit of a story, and I would say the direction in the short term has been higher. We are up about, oh, gosh, going back to 
two weeks before the new year. We were at 440 July. Now we're at about 470 July and looks to be breaking out. Uh, and I think the markets are really trading what the report or the expectations for the report, which are beans, Conab tomorrow should be negative. Corn on Friday, I think, will be, will be negative uh, from the USDA. But wheat, we're going to get that seedings number. I think that could be a good thing. Uh, I'm starting to see some surveys come out, 31 million acres, which is just not enough. Uh, and then you start penciling and yield, and, and you're really looking at carryout cuts uh, as the years go on. And uh, given where prices are for futures, future contract years, we're, we're not going to see more acres. So that's the way I'm seeing it right now. I think you have, uh, you know, the continued trends and momentum. And, and uh, once we get through the reports on Friday, I expect things to come back maybe to the mean a little bit. And we might talk more as we move along here in the wintertime season. Winter kill issues in parts of the southern plains? Yeah, and they really lack of moisture. That's uh, the, the major story here. And, you know, we're warming up now, and it looks like we're going to be warm, warmer the back half of January. And, you know, as, as we talked before on the radio yesterday, we're almost through the winter now. If you can kind of get yourself through January and focus towards that uh, February time frame, but still no moisture. And then once we get into the springtime and things start to come to life, I think there's some expectation here. Yields are going to be drastically lower than where they were the last two. And that's important to note. Another thing is Russia. Russia is looking now to get that kind of cold spell that we got. Uh, um, now, it's not directly in that wheat territory, a little more west, but if it could shift east, I think you could see their crop come into threat a little bit. And that's almost more important right now than the U.S. Uh, if you're a wheat trader, really your eyes need to be on the Black Sea. Is that's, that's where the real market is. All right. Where's the important month now when it comes to corn trading? I, I think DC 18. And, you know, you look at contract lows sitting at 375. If you're a buyer, given the fact that we're record short on the spec side, acreage is expected to be down, I think you take a shot there. And uh, if, you're, if you've been doing a good job of selling or if you want to move out of some product here, I simply just go out and buy the September, December contracts and consider the difference between where we are now and where those contracts are is your storage cost, uh, which is going to essentially factor into what it would be to store throughout the summer. So I think there's uh, you know an opportunity here that if the report would be bearish and the price action spring off as bullish, that we maybe make a little bit of a longer-term low here and trade higher into planning. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing Chicago. Be sure to go to danielsagmarketing.com. Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network.